Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Michael Cunningham and Adam Wheeler. Hello. Hello, hello. Today, we're talking about the 11th prompt in the Books and Bites challenge, Comfort Reads. This is one of those highly subjective challenges. I'm sure Michael's comfort read is probably different than mine. (laughs) So, Adam and Michael, what are your ideas of comfort reads? Well, honestly, I have a few ideas of it. Some are just stories that are really nice and cozy, like the one that I chose for this month. (laughs) And other ones are just like nostalgic. Like I almost did the Hocus Pocus book, which I read a while back and I loved it. It was just basically the screenplay put into a book. And I knew everything that was coming and it felt so nice. <laughs> However, the second half was kind of like some Disney garbage. And um, I won't get into that because that's not comforting. <laughs> I don't know. What about, what about you, Michael? What's your comfort? Uh, for comfort reads, my kind of idea of that is, you know, something that maybe gets you in the mood for something, you know, maybe a particular season or maybe a book that you revisit that kind of, you know, feels nostalgic, something maybe you read when you were younger, and also, you know, something that just kind of is cozier, that kind of thing. Okay, so so less gore in your comfort reads? I wouldn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) But, well, yeah, well, okay. Yeah, probably less gore. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't judge you if not. I found myself re-watching The Nun over and over as a comfort thing for a while. So, you know, some it can be gory. It can be. Okay. Yeah. But sometimes a nice children's book is also good. Yeah. A cute little picture book. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like maybe a comfort read for me, for example, might be The Shining. You know, that takes place in the mountains and, during, you know, in the <laughs> middle of winter and there's a there's snowing outside and, you know, and you're That's locked in this old hotel. Yeah. <laughs> I do agree with um, both of you on the nostalgic aspect and like maybe for me rereading something like Anne of Green Gables or, you know, a book that I read a lot in childhood or even just something that feels very familiar. I do think there's, you know, since the pandemic started, we've been watching a lot of rewatching a lot of TV shows. So I think there is something to be said about watching or reading something that you know what you're going to get. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes that's just what you need. Your brain needs to know that things are going to be the same about something. It feels good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We look forward to hearing your comfort reads. We just have this month and next month um, for the Books and Bites Challenge for this year. Adam? Yeah, yeah. We're up in the last month. So, of course, this month is comfort reads and next month is uh, a book set in your home state, which, you know, for us is Kentucky, because that's where we are right now. (laughs) But it might be different for you. Um, And so that means you have two more chances to enter for our monthly prize drawing of a $25 gift card to Joseph Beth, as well as two more opportunities to enter for our grand prize drawing. You know, same entry goes for both for a $100 gift card to Joseph Beth. So there's going to be a lucky winner for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you need to enter your forms, 
You can do that online at jesspublib.org slash books hyphen bites. So be sure to do that. We look forward to hearing from you. That's right. And thank you to all of you who have been listening along with us this year and who've been participating in our challenge. Yes, yes. Can't do it without you. So my first book is Early Morning Riser by Katherine Heine. When I read the reviews of this book back in April, the first thing I thought was, this is the book I need to read right now. And although it took me a little while to get to it, thanks Books and Bites Challenge, I can now unequivocally say that I was right. It was the perfect coming out of a pandemic and back into society comfort read. Although I'm not quite sure we're, we're totally there yet, but... At the time, we thought we were. (laughs) On the way, at least. (laughs) When the novel opens, Jane, 26, has just moved to Boyne City, Michigan, to take a job as a second-grade teacher. She locks herself out of the house and calls a locksmith, who turns out to be Duncan, an easygoing 42-year-old woodworker who works as a locksmith on the side. Jane invites him to stay for dinner, and they quickly fall into bed together on Friday night and don't leave the house for the entire weekend. Jane soon learns that not only does Duncan have an ex-wife he's still friendly with, he's also had a lot of girlfriends. As her best friend Frida says, quote, I think he's had enough girlfriends for like a lot of 42-year-olds, maybe even a lot of 84-year-olds, unquote. Nevertheless, Jane is smitten. An early morning riser chronicles her on-and-off and on-again romance with Duncan. She learns that being with Duncan means you are also going to be spending a lot of time with his ex-wife and her eccentric husband, as well as with Duncan's co-worker, Jimmy, a sweet man with learning difficulties who, after a terrible car accident, becomes even more a part of Duncan and Jane's lives. Heine's witty observations get all the details right. This is one of those books that, had I not read the library's copy, I would have underlined something on nearly every page. The characters feel like real people with all their charms and faults. The book reminded me that, no matter how annoying our friends and families and chosen families may sometimes be, They are also ours, and we are lucky to have them, and to love them, and to be loved by them. It also made me laugh out loud so often that I began to wonder if it was the best book to read at bedtime, which is when I do most of my reading. Jane, Duncan, and friends meet weekly for Taco Tuesday, and though they don't always eat tacos on Taco Tuesday— Come next Tuesday, you should definitely try tacos with roasted winter vegetables and red cabbage slaw. It's the perfect fall meal to share with your friends. Season whatever mixed fall or winter vegetables you have on hand with cumin, chili powder, and oregano. Winter squashes, beets, potatoes, and carrots all work great. Top with a simple slaw dressed with lime, olive oil, and cilantro. For the best fresh corn tortillas, I highly recommend making a trip to Taqueria Ramirez in Lexington. That sounds really tasty. I'm not totally convinced about the squash, but 
the red slaw is always good on tacos when I have them. There's a girls, girls, girls burritos in, in Lexington always does use a, a red slaw and it's delicious. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. No roasted, roasted winter squash. I've, I've eat those a lot on tacos in the winter. Sometimes you can add like you can you could do black beans with it too if you mm. prefer like more of a bean recipe. Sounds good. But yeah, and there's something about also it's just so much better if you have the tortillas from Tortilla Ramirez <laughs> and um there's just something about that really corny taste of their tortillas with the vegetables. Oh, it's just so yeah, good. The going well. Yeah, sort of like a, a fall winter chowder, but in a taco form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds yeah, good. and there's a recipe that I make, too, that's winter squash um, and black bean stew. And I serve that a lot with the tortillas from Tortilla Ramirez. I mean, we live not far from there, so it's easy for us to go grab them. The book sounds fun, too. Like, I don't know why it makes me think of this. It just kind of makes me think of, like, you know, the beginning of a Hallmark romance, but at the same time, it's much more realistic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm afraid, like, from my description, I did give it more of an impression of being a romance, but it really is more like an ensemble um, it's more like an ensemble cast comedy than okay. a romance. That romantic relationship does form the basis of the book and the plot, but it's really it's really her relationships with her her chosen family. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, gotcha. So like the comedy usually comes from the way they interact with each other and yeah. God, this is so awkward. <laughs> so annoying. Yeah, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, and from her her point of view as well, just because, I don't know, she just, like, can give a description and you know that, you know that person, you know? Mm. It's just really, really well done. I have recommended this book to several people. One of my friends read it. She was also... She said, I kept reading it aloud to my husband and laughing out loud. And it, she said, you're right. It's not the best book for bedtime because I just kept cracking up. My mom liked it, too. So, um, yes, if you're looking for a comfort read, early morning riser. So you probably know where this is going, but for my comfort read, there are a couple that I've revisited over the past couple of years uh, around September, October time to get in the mood for fall and Halloween. One that we have in our collection is Haunted Nights, an anthology edited by the great Ellen Datlow and Lisa Morton. This book has 16 atmospheric tales that explore the many faces of Halloween and its related holidays like Dia de los Mortos and Devil's Night from some of the best and up-and-coming and established horror writers today. There are several standouts here in this collection, but I'll touch on a few of my favorites. One of the first stories in the collection is Dirt Mouth by Stephen Graham Jones. It's about a grieving man recounting his story to, to police detectives of the night he went to a cabin in the mountains with his children on Halloween, trying to remember the good times with his wife and the mother when something comes knocking at their cabin door. 
A Small Taste of the Old Country by Jonathan Mayberry is a sharp little tale that takes place in Argentina shortly after World War II, where two men are hiding out in the country, are prepared a dish best served cold. Wicks End by Joanna Parapinski concerns two men in a tavern who are having a competition to see who can tell the scariest story with extraordinarily high stakes. A Flicker of Light on Devil's Night by Kate Jones tells a pitch-black story of a single mother who's at her breaking point on Devil's Night with her out-of-control children. We're Never Inviting Amber Again by S.P. Miskowski is a story about a man who regrets inviting his weird sister-in-law to his Halloween party, especially after she breaks out her Ouija board. Lost in the Dark by Jonathan Langan is probably the gem of the collection. This House of Mirrors tale concerns a professor interviewing a former student who wrote and directed a popular horror film that was turned into a franchise, which might be based on true events. But the professor is particularly interested in the fact that the film was initially a documentary. That's probably more than a few. There's also a story about a spooky haunted house, a trippy romp through Dia de los Muertos, and a folk horror story. There's so many good stories here, no real filler in this collection. So if you're looking for something to get you in the mood for fall or the Halloween season, I highly recommend this anthology collection. I checked out the book on CD and listened to it on the way home from working night. To get in the fall mood, try pairing this book with an apple cider mimosa found on delish.com. It calls for two tablespoons of granulated sugar, one tablespoon of cinnamon, one cup of apple cider, and a bottle of Prosecco or champagne. Super easy to make. I use brown sugar on mine, and it turned out really good. You know, I, I, I honestly, I appreciate a really good anthology. Because, like, I can pick it up, and I can choose the stories I want to read. And if I don't like any of them, just like, I'm on to the next one. Yeah. And make for a good bathroom read, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're usually pretty quick and easy to, you know, I mean, it's a good way to find new authors. Absolutely. Yeah, especially the themed ones, if you're especially trying to mm-hmm. get in the mood for something or, mm-hmm. like, a particular... You know, what do you call it? Subgenre mm-hmm. or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. if you don't have a lot of time to read, it's a good thing that you can just pick yeah. up and put down mm-hmm. whenever. Yeah. If you could, could find Air a bad one. and stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those stories, the, the one about the two people who are in a cabin and trying to outcompete each other on, on scary stories. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the title of the movie, but I saw one. I think it was like an independent film on like Netflix or Hulu, maybe even Amazon Prime a while back. It sounded remarkably like it could be that. Mm. So they they start telling each other scary stories. This woman just kind of shows up at this dude's cabin. And like as they're telling the stories, they're sort of acting it out. And a lot of it kind of is portrayed as actually happening. So you kind of have this play of like, is someone actually dying right now? Or are they just telling a story? Is there actually like a werewolf in the house? Or you know what? And then after a while, a pizza guy comes and he joins in on it. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's the same thing or if it's completely different. Might it's be it's a fun though. Different. But that sounds good. That yeah. sounds fun. <laughs> Wish I had the title. Okay, so I'm actually really ready for comfort reads. So I have selected a cozy story of magic with an undercurrent of danger. The Eisner (laughs) Award-winning series Witch Hat Atelier by Kamome Shirahama. 
Shirahama's illustration is lush with expressive characters, graceful line work, and inviting backgrounds, all styled somewhere between art deco and fairy tale illustration. Just like captivating stuff, man. Our main character, Coco, is a plucky seamstress's daughter with a lifelong dream of being a witch. I'm going to go through a little bit of this. But, like, it's so hard for me to talk about the story without giving away big details and and big twists and important stuff. So, it's going to be more about the characters and (laughs) the writing and stuff Mm -hmm. than the story itself. Now, the witches in Witch Hat Atelier are pretty unique as far as I'm concerned. uh, Complete with a magic system that I can't describe much without giving big plot points away. But, the skinny of it is that witches follow a code to strictly use their power to bring joy which is a wonderfully refreshing departure from the combat spells of other series, uh, even drastically different from mainstream staples like Harry Potter, which, you know, does a little bit of both, but it it definitely tends to go towards the combat stuff at at certain points. As you progress through the story, you'll encounter characters who all have different perspectives of what it means to be a witch and to bring joy to others often healing through personal traumas with plenty of tearjerker moments. Individuals share hard-won friendships built through mutual understanding and compromise, giving an unusually realistic depth to relationships, like an originally antagonistic rival, failing to break Coco's spirit, and finally recognizing that the source of her negative feelings was actually just her own jealousy the whole time. So this is a really comforting story with a zest of poignant growth. Witch Hat Atelier will also resonate with tweens, teens, and adults who remember first recognizing that authority is flawed and sometimes worth questioning, even at great personal risk. Launch into Little Coco's journey of personal growth by picking up Witch Hat Atelier, available in hard copy at JCPL. Uh, Apprentice witches may like a break from their studies with honey and rosemary cakes, spelled (laughs) H-U-N-N-Y, inspired by Winnie the Pooh by A.A. Milne. These cinnamon and rosemary cakes are topped with a fluffy cream cheese icing and drizzled with rosemary-infused honey. Quick little quote they had in the the cookbook. Uh, That's funny, he thought. I know I had a jar of honey there, a full jar full of honey right up to the top. And it had honey written on it, H-U-N-N-Y again, so that I should know that it was honey. Find this recipe and more in The Little Library Cookbook, 100 Recipes from Your Favorite Stories by Kate Young, available in hard copy at JCPL. (laughs) I think Winnie the Pooh would definitely qualify as a comfort read for many people. Oh, for sure. Yes. (laughs) Little bumbling, friendly dude, just having a good time in the hundred acre woods. Uh-huh. Like, what's what's to be stressed about? Honestly, it's great. That recipe <laughs> sounds really good. I love kind of I love sweet desserts combined with the savoriness of rosemary. Mm-hmm. So that sounds that sounds very tasty. Yeah. Nice tasty treat. I forget, I'll be more like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Um, right now, I do feel a little rumbly in my tumbly. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's about that time, though. <laughs> Next 
So the second book I wanted to talk about is Home Cooking, A Writer in the Kitchen by Lori Colwyn. Home cooking has been on my TBR list for ages, and I'm so glad that I finally got to it. Published in 1988, the book collects columns that novelist and food writer Lori Colwyn wrote for magazines such as Gourmet. The columns are short, funny, and highly opinionated. Most of the columns include recipes, often for what is typically deemed comfort food, such as extremely easy old-fashioned beef stew, shepherd's pie, and baked chicken with garlic and apples. Colwyn favors simple home-cooked meals that taste good without requiring a lot of fancy, expensive ingredients or equipment. For example, she writes about washing both her dishes and arugula in the bathtub of her first New York City apartment because she didn't have a kitchen sink. That is definitely roughing it, I think. (laughs) I don't even have a kitchen sink. Yeah, that's terrible. Her favorite party dish, creamed spinach with jalapeno peppers, calls for frozen spinach. Most of her recipes contain dairy, which I'm allergic to, and more meat than I typically eat. The only dish of hers I really want to try is the baguette recipe in the essay, Bread Baking Without Agony. But then I read most of my favorite food writers, women like MFK Fisher, Tamar Adler, and Ruth Reichel, for reasons other than their recipes. Like them, Colwyn offers a good story, funny moments, and the comforting feeling of being in the kitchen with a warm, familiar voice, all of which adds up to a great comfort read. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. To submit your responses for this month's prompts, visit us at justpublib.org slash books hyphen bites. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can learn more about Scott and his music on his website at doorforadesk.com.